Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 35 on My Heart. And director Bei Chang-ho does picturesque slice of village life of a hundred uh, years ago or so in a rather unremarkable, remarkable film called My Heart from 1999. And that's a little vague statement, but I'll, I'll get to... That goes in line with my quick-take opinion of My Heart. Featuring the adventures of Bag Lady and Potboy. My name is going to be... And with me is Korean cinema expert and the man who runs Hangul Celluloid and just recently went out and met our director at hand here. And his name is Paul Quinn. Not the director, but uh, the guru of it all is Paul Quinn. So say hi, buddy. I have a problem with guru and expert, but hello, nice to see you all. Hey, like still, still, you you possess knowledge, and even if expert means that, oh, that means hundred percent, then where is there to go for go to from there? Still, like you you possess uh, knowledge, my friend. So uh, if you Korean cinema, uh, no bot. Yeah, I'll go with no no bot because you know it sounds vaguely dodgy. So I, I'm okay with that. Cool. And uh, we obviously, uh, you have the floor later to tell the entire context of the story of uh, meeting uh, Bai Chang Ho uh, or Bai Chang Ho. But uh, it was uh, at, uh, at a UK event, wasn't it? For people who, uh, who do not know that uh, these things actually happen in the UK sometimes. It was, yeah. The, every year, the London Korea Film Festival runs its festival and they have a respective or retrospective of a classic director in with all the new stuff. And last year it was Yi Chang-ho and this year it was Bei Chang-ho. So, and they're, they're best friends. So it was just a nice little second interview, if you like, of, of two classic directors. So I'm very proud to have spoken to him because he was a lovely man, but more on that later. Was there, I don't believe I ever asked this, uh, was there for My Heart part of that retrospective? So you saw it on the big screen? No, it wasn't. Mark Morris, I've I've mentioned him before, I think, to you guys. Um, he's a, a doctor at Cambridge University, and he does a lot of, of the planning of the older films in the festival. And he put forward the Wang-Ho films he wanted to see, and he was specifically told he could not show certain ones. Right. Um, they, they essentially dictated the ones he had to show, which was the dream, whale hunting, and the first thing we're going to talk about, actually, people in the slums. So that was the three. My heart was on his list as far as I'm aware, but he wasn't allowed to show it. So I don't know whether that's because of availability or or what. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, not everything resides with one company. You have to clear things, I suppose. You can't just screen yeah. your personal DVD or, or request a print and just get everything automatically just because you like it. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, we're going to get into the contact information. And I mentioned Hal Gold Celluloid and you being a an always honorary co-host and co-producer, you get a full phone plug. So for people who do not know where Hal Gold Celluloid is, uh, tell us the URL and uh, what is your uh, focus, uh, not just in general, but uh, we know you cover Korean cinema, but uh, what can they find if they go to Hal Gold Celluloid? As we've said, my name is Paul. I run hangolcelluloid.com, a site that's exclusively Korean for film reviews, interviews, rants and essays, really. You can find me at hangolcelluloid.com. I'm at Facebook at facebook.com slash hangolcelluloid. I'm on Twitter at, at hangolcelluloid. You know, there are links on the site to all of those. Go and have a check out of a few interviews and a few reviews. Excellent. Uh, it's a multi, uh, sort of multimedia showcase and not just uh, reviews, which is always nice and uh, gets, uh, you know, 
uh, makes the time pass, of course, to do something different, uh, not just sit inside and watch movies, but uh, certainly it must always be invigorating in a way to attend events and feel that your fandom isn't just localized in your head in front of your TV, you know what I mean? I'm sure it's always been invigorating to extend your fandom that way. It really is. I mean, it's a big thing from my point of view. There are a lot of sites that do great reviews and there are a lot of sites that do great interviews. The context of stuff is really important to me. So the little essays and rants and stuff are really just to point people to, you know, past the 2017 film and look at the 1998 film that if it hadn't been made, the 2017 film wouldn't have existed, et cetera, et cetera. And it's sort of, it's what why I get so much out of these podcasts because we can give, you know, we can push older films and give context through older films to newer films. And, you know, it's a big thing for me. I very much agree. I mean, even though I'm, I'm almost always the newbie at hand here, I still want to craft as much context myself that I then combine with your knowledge because you possess knowledge. God damn it! Don't uh, don't argue with me right now. Uh, you know, but it, but it creates. Okay, okay. <laughs> but 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 you do possess knowledge, and you 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 can research a little bit more than I can. So it's it's always nice that you you craft that image for me as well. So that uh, mission statement extends to the podcast, and I'm very much appreciative of that, my friend. Well, that's very cool. And uh, as for the rest of the contact information, and this is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. And we are located on podcastonfire.com, where this show on Korean cinema, new and old, resides along with our other shows that covers, for instance, Hong Kong cinema, mostly vintage, but some new. We talk about Japanese cinema, including one uh, recent episode covering the what turned out to be the biggest anime of all time. 2016's Your Name. It passed uh, great uh, great efforts like uh, Miyazaki Spirited Away uh, box office wise and it's uh, one of the most beloved animes of all time. Uh, so it blew up big time. So we cover a variety of stuff. We talk sleazy movies. We have bonus episodes up there. Audio commentaries are produced every now and again. And uh, so hope there's a choice over there for you. And if you're a first time listener to the, this show and the network in general, thank you. Welcome in, and uh, if you want to interact with us, uh, you can do that on social media. We have handy buttons available on the top of our website, first leading to Facebook. That leads you to our page. Uh, If you search Podcast on Fire Network on Facebook, you will find our group with uh, the discussion points, show updates, and what have you. So welcome in. We're a friendly bunch, and uh, obviously not just uh, focused on uh, Hong Kong uh, movies or Korean movies, like uh, talk uh, Asian movies uh, of your particular your particular uh, preference and what have you so welcome in uh, follow us over on twitter uh, we're available at podcast on fire i write about a variety of hong kong genre movies and uh, taiwanese movies as well uh, with a focus on the sleazier side the adult side uh, the sort of independently made uh, cut and paste action pictures that came out of hong kong that were actually tailored for the international market your richard harrison ninja movies they're there and uh, a variety of uh, genres covered in the quick takes as well with a dip into korea every now and again because uh, naturally sometimes it happens the people who produce those ninja movies featuring richard harrison later in the company's timeline they picked up low budget Korean animated movies and dubbed them and they were mostly rip-offs of uh, these big robot uh, properties from Japan and they sort of animated them to look just enough alike 
where you will so totally see that that is Gundam, that is Massinger Z, but in the end uh, they can't be sued. <laughs> right? So they, they like crafty uh, Korean uh, animators, low budget ones, uh, granted, but uh, all uh, good fun. And that's part of movie history too, man. So I, I do my best yeah. to provide some uh, Korean cinema context even uh, on my site, sogoodreviews.com. And I have a little video review website called sleazykvideo.com. My tweets are available at sogoodreviews. And you can also stream us on Stitcher Radio. You can follow us on iTunes, of course, uh, rate and subscribe, and all that good stuff. So uh, if you have the time, leave a little written comment over at uh, iTunes and even Stitcher as well. And as for what's uh, coming up in this episode, we first discuss uh, director Bei Chang Ho's career with Paul filling us in on not only that aspect, but also the aspect of uh, him meeting the man not too long ago at the time of recording. And we then conclude the episode by reviewing his 1999 drama, My Heart. And uh, we first uh, start off with the plot of that movie, and uh, it is from Paul's review of the film at Hangul Celluloid. I have a feeling it's criminally under-reviewed online, uh, even though it might be a very liked and known film. I, I bet when you type in My Heart Review, your, your review is going to end up at the top. Uh. Pretty much. I mean, there's a, a TV series, Korean, called Autumn in My Heart. And if you do a search on My Heart, that's all you get because, you know, K-drama is a huge thing. I think that's a shame, and I'm also quite glad because if you want a review of it, you can you can check me or you can check London Korean links. I think we're about the only two sites that have reviews of it. It's it's a double-edged sword. It's good and bad. But at any rate, the movie is about the following. So quoting Paul's review of the film that we'll link to, of course. So here we go. An elderly woman, So Ni, played by Kim Yo-mi, sits in a tranquil countryside area near a makeshift road at the beginning of the movie. While she waits for the arrival of the local bus, she catches sight of uh, the back of her aged hands, unable to answer the question of when exactly her skin became so old and stone-like, in quotes, and realizing just how quickly the years of life have flown by. Sounds awfully depressing, but it is. Taking a mental uh, step back in time, uh, she begins to recollect uh, recollect uh, the love and losses of her past and once more the long-winding and often difficult journey of her life begins to unfold and when you start watching it it, it, it isn't bleak it isn't like she's sitting there in the rain waiting for the bus or anything no it's it's pretty colorful and uh, but by the way i never gotten this impression uh, from you if you're a student of the language by now korean that is or if you're learning it sort of through movies a little bit through interactions so to say or if you just study movie titles and try to get the gist of the translations of those please answer that and also what is the korean title of my heart and what does it translate to all of the above i originally would my swearing is great in korean because of korean film Um, (laughs) and that's really that's really where it started but you get to the point where you start to understand enough to know that subtitles aren't like covering what they should so i've actually been sort of using a few websites and apps to try and improve my korean and actually be able to fully understand what's going on in terms of the west anyway it's really difficult in london to learn korean with help from korean people because they won't speak korean they're so de- they're so determined to show you how good their English is. <laughs> you cannot get them to speak Korean. Stop so. being so proactive and uh, like uh, re- regress, please, for my sake. It's a work in progress, but we're getting there. How is it um, when, when when you go to Korea? Can you have conversational Korean? Are you, are you that comfortable yet? Yeah, I mean, I was there 
what a, less than a month ago. You know, you go to a restaurant. Koreans have a, a great habit of eating a bit and then maybe nipping outside for a smoke and then coming back in and eating a bit more. And I was leaving a restaurant as a middle-aged guy sort of was going back in and he'd been sitting at the next table and he was able to just turn around in Korean and just say, hope you had a really nice meal, nice to meet you. And I was able to have, to understand that and have a very general conversation, tell him I'm British and I'm here for a holiday. So it's all very basic stuff in terms of what I can say, but I can understand a lot more than I can actually articulate. But it's, get, it's getting there. It's getting there. Well, well, good on you for extending your fandom into something um, practical beyond uh, the practical movie know-how that you're also uh, amassing. So good on you. Well, we, we try. So uh, my heart in, in Korea, what's the Korean title of it? And uh, what does it translate to into um, into, into English? I mean, I mean, it's called my heart in English, but there is a one of those cases where the Korean title is literally my heart in English. We've done a lot of movies where the English title is been essentially the the same as the Korean, maybe with words reversed a little bit, etc., etc. This is one of those cases where it's completely different. Um, the Korean title is Jong, which is depending where you go, spelled J E O N G or C H O N G. And the reason it's been changed in my heart is that Jong is a a Korean concept that's really hard to grasp internationally. And if you bear with me, I'm going to give you a little bit of context. There is another concept that you may have heard of called Han. You know, you know what? I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. There. You know what? I first heard of that. Um, there was an episode of The West Wing where they had a North Korean pianist that uh, was playing there, and uh, he was obviously he had an entourage with him that didn't allow him to be all free with his uh, political views. So he signed a CD for the president, President Bartlett. And it said, I want to defect. In the end, when they couldn't make that happen, he talked of the, uh, the concept of, of Han. Uh, so I do, I do remember that. Hey, hey, popular culture, teaching uh, stupid Kennedy something. Yeah, but there you go, there you go. Um, Han is a, a really difficult thing to grasp. Supposedly, every Korean in their core believes that sorrow, regret, resentment, insurmountable odds par- forms part of their psyche. And the only way someone can at some point get through that and push their life further is to overcome those odds and and sort out what the problem was. And it's been said that because of the amount of of occupations and and pushing down that Korea has had from Japan, et cetera, et cetera, over the years, that sort of solidified hand. It's a really difficult concept for Westerners to grasp because we just don't have that sort of thing. But it's it's an inherent thing. And if you speak to any Korean, they'll be able to tell you that Han is part of their their being. Likewise, there is another concept called Zhong, which is the title of our film here, which is a similar sort of deal, except it speaks of love in a way, compassion, sympathy, empathy, community, happiness coming from sacrifice. Right. And it's part of people's being as well. And it really does sum up this little film because our main character is compassionate. She is loving. She does. She is inviting. She is utterly sacrificial to other people's needs without even thinking about it. And there's a lot of traditional Korea in there, but it all comes down to this concept of Zhang. And Bei Chang-ho actually said that's where the idea for the film started. He wanted to speak of this concept 
to younger film audiences and he personified it in the main female character. So that's why it's called Jung and that's why it's not my heart. Which is, uh, you know, Paul is speaking of something that a Korean psyche would get. But believe me, listeners, when you watch the movie, it's trans- it's translated the movie is very global, so it's not like you need to you need to have someone by your side to explain the intricate psychology that's going on here. So thankfully, it's it's all uh, able to translate through cinema uh, very well. Very much so, and even if we don't understand the specific concept, we understand all the emotions and the feelings and the actions that it causes. So, as you say, it is completely global, but it's just it comes from a psyche thing to begin with. And as for the director, Bai Chang-ho, he is noted as one of the most commercial directors of the 1980s. He was born in the 50s, so he's not um, he's not um, terribly old um, uh, at this point, and I'm sure he has cinema still left in, in him. But he has um, you know elements connected to him. When, when people talk of him, they talk of his trademark long takes and melodramatic beauty within his films. And uh, as is often the case, we have a director who graduated. He got to work as an, as an assistant director and made his directorial debut within a few years of that at the age of uh, 29, though. Starting with uh, the movie People of the Slum or People of uh, Kobang um, Neighborhood. And uh, that was made in 1982. And it worked out critically, like you read about his debut movie. He was ge- ultimately given the Best Director Award by the Korean Association of Film Critics. And the movie People of the Slum was depicting souls, slums, uh, the characters within that ended up with nothing after initially leaving their hometowns for the big city. So big dreams and then it happened uh, that way. It also had trouble getting the script approved as the censorship board required in the end over 60 amendments to soften the depiction of the lives living in the actual um, city. These um, statements about uh, uh, Beijing Ho's you know, long takes and visual aesthetic. Mm. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, it's said to be evident in his films. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's evident in this first movie, uh, and uh, maybe it's not evident, able to be evident because of a low budget and not the best camera equipment. But uh, is it, or is it more of a style that was put into other of his movies, uh, that technical aspect uh, of his style? If you've seen uh, People of the Slum, that is. It's not really that ev- evident. I mean, this obviously it was his first film. It's early on, he was really, he was pushing what he was trying to push. He was doing a social critique, the whole long takes and the the beautiful aesthetics that you see in my heart. I mean, rewatching it yesterday, you know, you see a scene where one character's carrying another one and he gradually zooms out just quietly. So the two characters are small in the middle and there's just these gorgeous vistas. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes through all his work, but it was much, much more a later change and we'll talk a lot about why why his actions why his direction all changed as it goes along but um it was much more a later thing people of the slums was really it was about the underdog it was about you know the the troubles that people go through at that time in korea going back to that script uh, i don't know if you asked him this but was it a confrontational movie therefore before the amendments uh came into play and they softened the tone in the final product uh, after the amendment uh, amendments of the script um, uh, has did, did he talk about that has he talked about that he did i mean i specifically asked him about that and he said the the 60 amendments were all related to 
his social critique. What it had been was a very confrontational movie that said a lot of not so nice things about Korea as a whole. And that was what they were upset about. And they made him soften the tone. And he chose at that point to make the film more melodramatic than confrontational. And that was the first of the changes to his tone because he then went on to make films that were specifically melodramatic and aimed at the youth of Korea. So ev almost every thing that's happened to him through his filmmaking, he's had he's changed what he does somewhat and it's it's made him who he is. So very much less confrontational, more melodramatic. But he said he was he was happy with the amount of confrontation at the end of the day, even though it was forced on him. Yeah, I mean, I was stupid to ask if you've seen it. I know it was part of the retrospective, but did you have a chance to see it during the retrospective? I didn't see it during the retrospective, but I've previously seen it. I think it was probably the first film of his I saw, and I probably saw it before I even knew who Bei Jang Ho was. Right. And as soon as you find out who Bei Jang Ho is, you're like, oh, I remember People of the Slums. It's it's utterly memorable, and it it deserves every accolade it got. And it is quite hard hitting. It is quite moving. You know, whenever I think of social critique, uh, in particular during the early eighties, I mean, this is just uh, off the cuff. Back in Hong Kong, there was this when these uh, sometimes foreign educated Hong Kong directors came back to Hong Kong, they, they initiated that new wave of uh, sort of new voices, new stylish voices, but also social critique was at the forefront. And um, I, I'm sure you know the Hong Kong director uh, Choi Hak. Uh, director yeah. of Once Upon a Time in China, Sue Warriors from the Magic Mountain, uh, Detective D. But he made a little movie called uh, Dangerous Encounter First Kind, aka Don't Play With Fire, which is his uh, angry social commentary like you read about. And they, it was so confrontational and so in your face that they uh, they were forced to reshoot and cut uh, certain elements. But uh, And the, the elements they cut were utterly shocking because, you know, it's about these teenagers that do commit and I believe it was an accidental crime but the subplot was completely cut out that these teenagers were little amateur bombers mm. they, they little amateur terrorists they actually go into a cinema and set off a bomb and it was so utterly shocking oh my god like this wasn't in the movie oh my god well, where Choi Hak was never this angry something must have sparked in him to just want to go that far hmm. because it, it wasn't done for shits and giggles obviously um and uh yeah they were, they were forced to change a whole lot of things and and in the end the final product is utterly uh, uh you know it's a gut punch because it's violent and ugly and just um uh, confrontational enough believe me so uh, it, it sounds like people of the slum did wasn't stripped of its uh, of its effect uh, when all was said and done and uh, at any rate uh, Bai Chang Ho, uh, Bai Chang -ho uh, went on to reportedly hit a stride as a director that generated box office uh, his movies was a hit with general audiences therefore and, and film buffs alike uh, was taking notice and uh, movies like uh, whale hunting and deep blue night and our sweet days of youth uh, Looking at the why uh, the research to me it seemed like this, but is is that a major run of hits we're talking of here in the eighties, and therefore content wise, or, or are we talking easily digested mainstream work or actual personal difficult drama that still manages managed to find an audience and box office? Uh, therefore, certainly in terms of his films in the early eighties, they they were huge hits. He was incredibly popular because he was speaking directly to an audience that was being drawn back to cinema by directors like Lee Chang-ho, et cetera, et cetera. 
in terms of the content, I would certainly not say mainstream at all. These, these were personal, difficult movies. If, if you take Deep Blue Night, the first scene in it is a male character has sex with a woman in Death Valley, then beats her to a pulp and leaves her for dead. That's the first scene. So this is this is not easily digestive stuff. This is all and not exploitation pretty... style, uh, an exploitation style movie either. That's about a killing spree or a slasher movie. It's it's a uh, it's it's difficult. Yeah, certain. It's it's all very much social commentary. I mean, Deep Blue Night very much was the criticism of the American dream and how shallow the American dream was. And this was at a time when young Koreans were were more being allowed to t- travel abroad to, to move and, and people were emigrating from Korea to the US hand over fist. And it was almost him saying, speaking to those people who, who were learning about the US saying, you know, it's maybe not as as holy American dream as you think it is. On the other side of that, the same as Lee Chang-ho, who we've talked about before with Declaration of Idiot and stuff. In the 80s, there was so much censorship, it was very difficult to get social critique out there. But censors took less of an issue with eroticism, and a lot of directors put eroticism into their movies to almost cloud social critiques. And Bei Chang-ho did exactly that. Deep Blue Night's got a fair bit of eroticism in it. It's based on a novel that has none. So that sort of says, again, he's changing what he did because of the time, because of the censors and what he could cover what he wanted to say with and get away with it. That's still a remarkable thing for me as a as a general sort of no-bot of Korean cinema. I've certainly learned more from listening to you that. But it's all, what I'm getting at is that it's remarkable that these uh, difficult or odd sometimes movies find an audience, and I'm talking a big time audience. We we talked a declaration of idiot where the director sort of deliberately tried to make the worst movie he possibly could, <coughs> and yeah. uh, nah, it didn't work out because <laughs> we want to see that movie, and it, uh, we actually quite like it. And uh, and that movie whale hunting from from uh, from our director at hand here, it 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 seems based on research to have more co- have more in common with tone, theme, and style of movies like Declaration of Idiot, uh, with uh, its eye on the lower middle class, and it's a road movie kind of a thing. And I don't know if it's quirky as heck as well. So, are there any notes out there on whale hunt- whale hunting, personal or not? Yeah, very much so. I mean, the whole thing about Declaration of Idiot, whale hunting. They all tend to, and uh, numerous others, and we'll mention one we've reviewed b- before in a minute. Um, they all feature a sort of a road movie, a sort of a, a journey, usually with two men and a woman. And the woman is more often than not either heading towards being a prostitute or she is a prostitute. That's the commonality. A lot of people have said that Lee Man He's A Road to Sampo, which we reviewed on podcast on fire not that long ago similar thing that was the first time this road movie with two blokes and a woman appeared and everybody says the declaration of idiot copied it Beijing ho copied it with whale hunting i actually asked him if he'd been inspired by iman he's road to sampo and he just went no completely inadvertent it's just one of those things that i, I think critics and, and people who talk about movies it, they they do simple 
comparisons sometimes that are not really um, they have no sort of uh, basis and uh, sort of uh, yeah. deep uh, foundation for, for, for such a statement very much they find similarities and just go it must be related to that um, completely inadvertent whale hunting is in terms of declaration of idiot terms it is quirky but it's nowhere as surreal and attemptedly bad as that Declaration of Idiot, it's a much more normal film. It's much more, if I can say it again, it's much more Han. It's much more about the man helping the helpless woman overcome her insurmountable odds to find where she's supposed to be and lose her, you know, her resentment, her anger, her bitterness. Wonderful film. Um, That and Deep Blue Night are utterly memorable. If you get a chance to check them out, please do. Paul mentioned uh, Deep Blue Night and Death Valley, and uh, being a Korean movie, you would think, well, well, they recreated Death Valley in some desolate other area in Korea. Nope. That was shot uh, on location in De- uh, at Death Valley. Mm-hmm. It was shot in location uh, in Los Angeles as well, and, uh, you know, as Paul said, it, it had statements about the American dream and where the Korean eyes and psyche was looking at and that he probably wasn't that pleased that they were looking solely at that being the dream and nothing else matters currently. That's, you know, we get back to that point that I was just talking of that I don't know if Deep Blue Night was a big hit too uh, amidst those other movies. Very much so, but yeah. And really, I mean, we talked of it in terms of Declaration of Idiot as well during that episode, but I'm endlessly fascinated how audiences worked and still work in Korea. That they base their movie-going, planned movie-going experience on... It almost seems to me like they base it on that they get a sense of this features a certain theme and content. And maybe that is in addition to knowing the director. And, And that is all something to trust with your money. And and that all means that they're a movie savvy audience, and and, and they want uh, they, they want like a critically acclaimed experience, and not just this uh, mindless experience where they drink their soda and eat their popcorn. Uh, and it, it's um, I mean, it's not really a question; it's just a, an, an amazing little snapshot of how wonderful audiences uh, were, and at some points are because they they take a chance on movies that you don't think have a chance commercially. And uh, I mean, it must be great for a director to be personal and be successful, uh, which is, you know, save you that formula a little bit. Making personal movies and raking in the money. That doesn't happen that much. I do agree with you, but I I, I think a lot of credit needs to go to the directors as well. I mean, certainly in terms of Bei Chang Ho, yeah, the audience is is savvy enough to be pulled to his work, but he pulled him in. You know, he deliberately aimed the films at a specific demographic and spoke about things he knew were in their minds anyway. So as soon as they get any inkling of what the movie's about, they're going to be drawn to it anyway because that's what they're thinking about anyway. If, if you look at Deep Blue Night, it is so about the, the American dream that young Koreans were suddenly finding out what America was, suddenly finding out about this American dream. They were, you know, so excited to know more about it that as soon as he starts talking about it, they're going to come in droves. So it's half and half. Yeah, they're savvy, but they're savvy because he's he's pulled them in as well as them being drawn in by being intelligent, I guess. I mean, I mean, this is all pre, uh, pre-social pre media and internet, obviously. So totally. yeah. th- there must have been enough media coverage that people grasp and get a sense of 
to trigger that, boom, that's for us. You know what I mean? Like so. So, so I mean, I'm I'm sure you know it got exposure on tv in terms of the promotional aspect overall but still we're not talking social media where things can create ripples in an instant i think i think think things were well things were a lot different back in those days i mean even for us in the west but we still we still managed to find out about the big movies and what they were about and what whether they were going to be interesting to us and you know critical acclaim was was probably more important than it is now because of social media and what it's done so i don't think it ever have been a problem mm-hmm. regardless of over there or here we always we always find out what we wanted to see before we ever saw it yeah for sure uh whether spectacle or or these kind of movies uh that's for yeah. sure as the decade turned into the 90s it seemed to signal a change for uh, bei chang ho uh, maybe after a failure or two but he turned into more of an independent filmmaker and uh, movies like uh, the topic of our discussion my heart and uh, 2004's the road uh, reportedly showcased the director having gone from more elaborate uh, filmmaking techniques uh, to more down-to-earth stories that then was reflected in the filmmaking, which it, it doesn't sound like it's a bad new chapter. I mean, he made four movies during the night. This, uh, uh, but w- when you look back on it, uh, on it and uh, after having talked to him, um, did you ever get an impression that it was a frustrating new chapter or this was a filmmaker that didn't mind working hard to make you know his movies to find the money to make the movies uh, and uh, the, the, like there was no negative that he was able to take his time I suppose or or what do you know about that from personal experience and um, having talked to him I mean I, I, I specifically asked him about this as well the fact that he changed as he went off you know he did People of the Slums and he had to turn it into more melodrama then he, he headed towards melodramatic things and through the 80s those were incredibly popular by the time the 90s came melodrama yeah it was still popular on tv but in terms of film film buffs were looking for different things and other filmmakers were starting to come in that were doing different takes on things and bei chang ho specifically said every change he made in his career was because he was trying to stay up with what was popular his melodramas had started to not be popular so he moved to talking about life with the road, uh, you know, um, my heart. They didn't do particularly well in terms of the overall box office. So when it came to the end of the 90s, early 2000s, he did a film called Last Witness, which is just it wasn't what he does. It was an espionage thriller. It was sort of North South Korean, you know, hard hitting. Wasn't all that good because it wasn't what we expected from Bei Chang Ho. But he was again trying to keep up with, at that point, the new Korean cinema wave and trying to keep working. The The four films that he did after the 90s weren't that successful. They were a real bind for him to get made. I think it was an incredibly difficult time and he kept trying to change and become more independent to fit with what he felt was going on and what he felt would make him successful again part frustrating new chapter but still got to be 
creative and presumably on his own terms uh, uh, maybe outside of that espionage movie of course but um, totally totally uh, but the last movie to date uh, was The Trip from 2010 so what do we know about uh, this in terms of uh, if it's low budget if it's independent uh, are there any uh, name cost attached to it or and was it any good The Trip is a stunningly beautiful film it's set in Jeju Island if you look at my heart it's sort of a series of episodes, as we'll say, through a person's life. The trip is three episodes from three different lives. There's a young girl and her grandmother, a middle-aged woman, and a young couple. One take a trip to Jeju Island in a relationship. One married woman goes to get away from the family she can't stand. And one elderly woman tries to keep her young daughter in check. And it, it's you put it all together and it's a story of life from youth to middle age to elderly. I felt it was a hugely companion piece to my heart. What my heart says, the trip does as well. Beijing Ho says completely inadvertent again, no connection even though it was written with um, Kim Mini, which was this, also the case with my heart. He said it was completely separate and whatever else. In terms of it being made, he had a nightmare. He really wanted to take this sort of life thing further. Couldn't get funding. He had to go to Kofik. He had to go to Ararang TV, which is an English language TV channel in Korea, to get them to part fund it so he could make an incredibly independent film because the big studios just wouldn't touch him. And it, again, quite a harsh story, but it's such a gorgeous film. It's it's worth every independent penny it cost. And uh, I really didn't insert this uh, question, but we, we certainly hinted at it. So um, uh, before we get to, to the review, uh, let's uh, take a little uh, trip down memory lane from a month ago <laughs> when, you, when you met the man. So uh, what do you want to say about the circumstances and the experiences of uh, talking to the man? And uh, I'll, I'll tease with this uh, because it's not that common that these directors do this, but this man uh, conducted the interview by his own choice in English and uh, was a little bit of a chatterbox, wasn't he? Oh, yes, very much so. What an incredibly nice guy. I arrived at the... the korean cultural center do the interview and he was already there and you just sort of sit down you say hello in korean and as we've said nobody in korea will talk korean they all talk english especially bei chang ho there's always someone from the cultural center who sort of hangs about and tells you when you've done 10 minutes when you've done 20 minutes etc etc she popped off upstairs and uh, I said, you know, nice to meet you. We'll hang on till she comes back. And he went, no, let's get started. And he started talking about, before I'd even asked a question, about how he'd started in the industry and how he'd worked for Hyundai and how he'd been to the UK for the first time in 1976 and chatty, chatty, chatty. When we actually got into the interview, his answer to my first question was 17 minutes long. <laughs> and that that's without a translator being needed, you know, interviews normally out of a five minute answer, two minutes are the translations. So you can imagine if it's all in English and it at normal speed too, you can imagine what a trial it is to transcribe. But he was so open, so happy to talk, really. Um, I think he was almost surprised that he'd been invited, that his stuff was still relevant. 
And you and you never know about these things because some filmmakers and we don't mind. I mean, they 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 sometimes are guarded about uh, their art and they don't want to really um, pull off, uh, pull away the curtain and uh, they they want their movies whether they're straightforward or artistic or and abstract or not. They they just want people to experience them and uh, that's that. So some filmmakers refuse to talk of their themes and so forth. Like David Lynch, he won't talk of what it all means, but he's happy to talk about the making of. Uh, but uh, yeah. uh, by Chang Ho seems to be uh like well i'll tell you everything i'm happy to do it yeah totally totally i mean i on top of everything on top of the openness of the the conversation afterwards myself and um the guy i've already mentioned them the guy who runs london korean links um another great uk site way the head of the kcc film thing and mark morris who had programmed the the films that were screening the four of us the five of us um went for a sort of a sit down cup of coffee and a sandwich and a chat. And after it, I was heading back because I, I, it would have taken me hours to get home. And they went off to rewatch people in the slums and on the pavement, as I was about to leave, he pulled me back and Beijing Ho just said, I'm going to see you before you go again, before I go again, aren't I? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, lovely to meet you. Shook my hand. And you know, you just think lovely guy, aside from the fact that he's, one of the most influential directors of the 80s. Phenomenal guy, very chatty, very informed, very interesting. Excellent. And um, if uh, not already, then that uh, review will uh, eventually uh, uh, go up on the site after Paul uh, struggles with uh, transcribing uh, more, more minutes than he's used to when doing these interviews. It'll be online in the next couple of days as we record this. So by the time this podcast was live it should be on there um we're about three quarters of the way through so we're, we're getting there we're getting there <laughs> uh cool my friend and let's uh, review uh, my heart from 1980 uh, sorry 1999 you know it wasn't part of it but the korean cinema certainly had exploded into their uh, new wave at this point cherry was the year before but uh, this wasn't a uh, part of that and i'm sure you got a little bit buried uh, because of that uh, partly that uh, korean cinema was occupied very, very, very much so, yeah. Uh, like other talents were exploding and uh, in uh, different uh, creative ways, of course. But uh, uh, a little movie like My Heart uh, wasn't as noticed. But uh, hey, it's still still out there and still able to be appreciated. And as for my short opinion, it's two hours of uh, gorgeous-looking, poignant simplicity focusing on one particular woman's life. It shows uh, an eye for what life is, uh, cinematically, uh, or, you know, and that... You know, simplicity isn't easy to make, uh, is the point here. But uh, Bei Chang Ho comes off as hugely confident and competent as he recaps a life in motion. Because, you know, I, I don't mind saying this, it's not about birth to death or anything. This It's about a big snapshot of uh, of an ongoing life. Uh, you know, uh, it's not uh, one of those movies that uh, pulls the rug from underneath us uh, at the end or anything so uh, but life has uh, its uh, peaks and valleys of course and that, that it does depict so I quite quite enjoyed it uh, what do you want to say in short about the, my heart before we uh, go into the discussion I think my heart is beautiful in concept beautiful in content and beautiful in its visuals some of the vistas that are shown are so gorgeous they almost stand as little characters themselves this is this is a story about tiny little episodes in one woman's life good bad each one followed by her walking away from a situation and we'll talk a lot more about it as we go through i think 
as I watched it, films like This Charming Girl, My Mother the Mermaid, all came to my mind because they're all of a type. They're all little stories about very little, but they're no less important because of that. I was thoroughly engaged. I think he builds his characters and the empathy with the viewers like a, like a champ. I totally invested in every character, especially the main female character. Um, she's a lovely lady and she seemed real to me. What strikes you early on is, of course, the eye-popping colours and uh, it all looks like a postcard, but obviously not a cheap cheap one, uh, not this standard touristy little view of uh, of uh, a Korean Vista or anything. And even though I don't know, but it all looks like a million bucks anyway, and even looks expensive, but um, it might as well be in a very low-budget movie where they had a champion of a cinematographer that just make these colours and vistas just blow up like you read about. Uh, do we know that offhand if this was like a low, very low-budget movie, or did they have some money to play around with? No, pretty much low-budget independent it, it was made as it could be made and the vistas were there if they were able to go to an area they were able to film there and he just made it look sumptuous budget constraints were were huge as they they tended to be i i think he handled that immensely well i mean not all countryside in in these kind of movies needs to be dreary either so it's not like he uh, enhances it to this fantasy level or anything. It's a, it's all natural uh, natural beauty uh, based on the season that they're in. And uh, we we also get uh, a little flag early on that absolutely wasn't a flag at all. And it's the fact that we do get a little bit of voiceover. But I do emphasize that there's very little of it. I, I think at maximum three points in the movie. There's a little bit of voiceover. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Beginning, yeah. middle, and end, essentially. And end, yeah, yeah. And I don't know, he might have been able to convey that through the you know external dialogue, but he, he fairly earns by just uh, lighting a little spark for the journey and then not relying on it. Because I think if he did rely on it, Unfortunately, unfortunately, I think that would would have been overstating the, the intent of the movie. But the way he chooses it is rather um, remarkably restrained. Uh, I think. I I totally agree, and I, I think on top of that, if, apart from those three tiny little segments, there are a lot of sections in the film where certainly the main character doesn't really say much at all for extended periods of time. She just she looks, and I think that almost offsets any problem you could have with it. I had no problem with the little narrations at the start, middle and end at all. They, they kind of worked for me and I I hate narration in general. So I think we can say from my point of view, he's a massive success on that level. And what is also a massive success I think is that this movie is rather static in its ways. Not a whole lot of fancy camera moves. It sort of locks down the camera and lets scenes and the moods within it and the colors within it just play out, you know, sometimes in extended takes. But even if it was extended takes, uh, it's certainly not something he draws attention to at all, uh, which is a good thing because sometimes it is a little bit show-offy. Even though the masters can be show off, you know, Scorsese can be show off, show off with mm. his extended takes and what have you. But 
so he, he strikes a balance with his crew where they want to it should be bright and eye candy but not betray the view of realism that they are attempting here because they they see the scenes and the plot within the village as our lead character as a child at this point is thrust into arranged marriage and but my god are they 10 years old or something like that yeah I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the boy's certainly 10 years old i think she's maybe slightly i think she, she said she was 16 so i think there was that whole age difference as well but the kid the the groom is a 10 year old and and i mean it's not a dark tale it's just uh tra- you know tradition presumably uh, so they don't um, you know neither of them are ready physically uh, you know so he isn't going to uh, attempt to portray any dodgy stuff uh, obviously uh, the, the the closest thing we get to dodgy stuff is uh, that, that the groom takes his pants off in peace uh, not on her but <laughs> uh, out, the, out the door where uh, some uh, curious <laughs> girls are looking in and giggling and stuff like that so uh, so, so obviously there's a little bit of that but uh, it's just a tradition and uh, everybody gets set into their roles um, wh- whether they remain in the village or not uh, is is the question and he certainly he does not remain in the village because he is not a major character he grows up and he, uh, he his option clearly is uh, that he can achieve education and life in the city and, uh, and mm. uh, doesn't need to stay faithful necessarily to that uh, marriage and I don't know anything about that tradition, certainly, but uh, so, so I just am sort of rattling spontaneously that this is not him uh, committing a sin that's going to doom him or her by pursuing education and uh, and romance uh, in his uh, in his elder years and things like that. So uh, maybe you know more about it because you've seen more movies that might de- depict this, uh, you know, uh, arranged marriage uh, when yeah, when people are young and things like that. But for for me, that whole thing really spoke about the sort of changes that were happening in Korea you know he goes off and comes back with a modern woman friend if you like whereas she stays at home wholly traditional the conversations not to give any spoilers away the conversations he has with his mother that she says he's not allowed to do something or other um, just sort of says traditionalism versus modern you don't need to think about it at all but it is there if you're interested in seeing where it comes from and by the way what i didn't mention it was sort of a baked into the cheeky intro but the, this movie essentially is set from the 1920s and onwards so um, you know uh, so yes modernism is creeping in but it isn't uh, it, it isn't uh, you know 80s or 90s yep. uh, modern uh, as such but going back to that static style and that straightforwardness because he, he doesn't use um, flashy technique to communicate or anything it's just really locked off cameras most mm. of the time it just let the scenes play out and i don't know about you but that straightforwardness has never went down right that is has never grown grown old for me i mean certain directors that are remembered and quoted as oh my god those visuals oh my god i like when they strip down their movies to the bare essentials one example because we've both seen the movie is uh, mainland China director Zhang Yimou and his movie Riding Alone for Thousands of Miles, which I showed yeah, you. Yeah. And, you know, he's quoted as the director of Hero and House of Flying Daggers and these martial arts movies. But I never really was taken by that. I was more taken by how you craft such cinematic simplicity by just being rather straightforward, just shoot yeah. your story. It goes along the lines of that movie. Also, Zhang Yimou's uh, The Road Home. 
Very much. I mean, when when you mentioned that a couple of days ago, I actually thought, wow, yeah, it really does. There are there are scenes that are visually not identical, but they certainly are reminiscent, and it it is noticeable. And I think it, I think it's it's a very confident move. But 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 it's that straightforwardness that goes in combination with making the frame a pop, right? Which is not uh, sometimes not the usual technique, but it's the technique here where this is. It's not a big scope frame, but it's a nice wide frame, and it is about popping. You know what I mean? And it is making it look expertly uh, even expensive as a production but not but but not uh, like the sacrifice isn't um, the realism of it all so uh, you know is that unusual for for Bei Chang-ho or this is what you sort of know from other movies too by the time he made my heart this was Bei Chang-ho and it's what you see in the road and it's what you see in the trip it built over time but it became for me anyway what Bei Jiang Ho is and and why I'm such a fan of his work because that screams out of an awful lot of his films. It all also leads to performances that are measured. You know, they are suitable for the moment uh, because she, uh, we switch to our adult actress that then plays her all throughout uh, adulthood and then to old age, which which thankfully she can do. They don't uh, they don't bake a, an old age makeup cake. For her, right? It, it's like uh, subtle makeup to make her uh, look old, and that is pulled off uh, marvelously, I think. The, the performances are measured because the scenes sometimes are just about uh, they're, they're about labor and uh, they're about being in the environments, and sometimes the dialogue is a little bit more difficult because the mother in law has a temper. I think it's hinted at that she might be senile too, but I wasn't too sure about that. Yeah, that I mean, that's the one, the, there's one little reference about a meal that she's forgotten she's just had that sort of says she's maybe got dementia of some sort but it disappears so quickly i spent the next 10 minutes thinking so so she's not then is she it was the one little issue i had but you know it's there for whatever it is but all of that do you think it uh continually like crafts the thread of the story because to me it never stalled by showing like details like the labor of it all in the village and because there are things dropped in there that she clearly either opts or can't pursue anything else but this village life because she needs to be a dutiful wife but all but all of that to me was subtle enough and non-verbal enough without obscuring that that's her thread in life currently did this episode anyway is that is that Fred? And yes, she does it out of duty, but she's slightly frustrated too. And that, you know, all those com- all those things combined meant to me that he's communicating that very, very, very clearly. Once you just sit down, and if you prefer this static style that is quite eye popping, then to me that was never a problem. Uh, there was never a problem of that getting through in my eyes. I think that whole thing works like a charm. That when you take the tiny little everyday things she does you know in one instance she's seen stoking a fire and it seems she's just stoking a fire and doing what she does and it turns out that underneath it all she's actually heating up the floor of the the girl friend of her husband so that it's the floor so hot she can't actually stand and it's those simple little everyday things that within them have this gorgeous humor and 
and just say a little bit more than they initially appear. That the huge strength of this film. He he does so well by not having, but by not having that voiceover on top of it, we we are forced to look at her and see. You know, we we, we determine if if she's a thinker or not, if she's uh, extensively verbal, either internal or external, and. The volume is up and down in terms of that because she is external in certain instances and she's not in others because the life just goes on. But it still crafts this thread that she is, uh, you know, this is an episode of her life. She has intentions and probably desires, but in combination with being dutiful and also caring about other people and not um, caring grudges either. Because, uh, for, for instance, after having been yelled at by her mother-in-law there's a latter point in the movie where they achieve an understanding maybe in her a moment of clarity for her mother-in-law and she doesn't you know uh, carry any grudge that she was yelled at you know the year earlier or whatever so it's this understated warmth that is not hidden and it continues to build on on her as a character and uh, continues to you know craft that uh, that life thread that she's sympathetic she's not after a fight and she's building her character yeah. when that romantic encounter that we that we i'm sure we're going to talk about happen it's not been expressed necessarily because we don't know how for i, I didn't know anyway how dutiful she needed to be if she mm. if she had any right to look at another man uh, or not uh, was that anything you picked up on that she uh, that she was uh, bound to the marriage as such very much so. I mean, if you look at classic Korean cinema, even new wave cinema as women's places change in, in society, there's the whole thing of, you know, women were expected to be subservient. Their mother-in-law was their boss. Their husband was their world. And everyone will that writes about classic Korean cinema will say, this is the way it was. They had to do that. What my heart shows is that that almost wasn't even... A thought in their head they did it because it's what they did it wasn't that she was thinking oh i've got to do this she maybe wasn't happy at the time but her sacrifices her her subservience her everything else seems so natural that it just puts a whole extra layer on the this is what classic women in classic korea were it pushed me further than i've talked a lot about women in Korean cinema. For, 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 for once, by the way, this is not a despicable woman, right? <laughs> for once. Well, totally, totally. <laughs> She's not, thankfully. She's a lovely woman. And and by the way, uh, that sounded way out of context. It, we, we were talking about how certain directors uh, made movies and how they characterized uh, female uh, female characters and made them villains and things like that. Look at The Housemaid, yeah. for instance, uh, and uh, how, how crafty, sort of say, evil and crafty the fiction of it all was in, in, in that instance. So. Yeah, and I mean, Kim Ki-young, the director of The Housemaid, actually, you describe his, he described his films as despicable women. So this is the other side of it. This is, you know, that, yeah, they were expected to sacrifice, but they almost didn't see it as a sacrifice. The, the sacrifices they made were their choice as well as anything else. And I think that's a, a, a beautiful little different perspective on the whole traditional thing. She, she's very proactive, which is the case for when we get into the um, the romance of the middle part of the movie. But So I'll, I'll give you the floor if, if you want, in terms of what you want to mention about when um, the pottery 
maker, potboy, if you will, meets his uh, meets his lady of choice, and uh, I guess the I, I guess you will bake in the, uh, the 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 sort of comedic spark to the romance, which sort of took me by surprise. Okay, movie rebound from this motherfucker. <laughs> uh, the the funniest, most gently funny moments in the entire film when he finds a way to get close to her. I'm not going to give it away with spoilers because you've got to see it. It comes right out of nowhere uh, out of a determination like you read about uh, and in, in uh, a drunken determination that's uh, I didn't know drunken determination could be that uh, specific and that controlled. Let's well indeed and, and I have to say I made, I made notes throughout it just for the future but anyway um, no, thank you. Um, I, By the way, can I just say that it it, it isn't a, a, a like a, a dark thing, listeners. So you won't go into exploitation territory. It's the it's uh, it's something you can't imagine would happen in terms of uh, drunken determination. It, it is comedic in a way. So just I, I just want to state that. Pardon me. But I love the fact that when he remembers what's happened, he goes and hides in one of his pots, and it's up to her to come and say what what you're hiding in a pot. After last night, it's just so beautiful. The characterizations are absolutely perfect. You know, it's wonderful because she isn't like she's offended that she was essentially, uh, you know, um, something was done against her will. But she has grown into the character that takes a step back. Okay, what was the context of that? And let's communicate with the person in question. And see if I can get a why rather than a confrontation, which I thought was a beautiful turnaround because you wouldn't blame her for yeah. being physical with him either. You know, so she's growing into a woman that presumably is in her 30s or 40s by that point. She's smart enough to, okay, there might be something here. I want to uh, and, uh, untangle that, right? Totally. I, I think it's, it's gorgeously done. It says a huge amount for the character and for you know, the strength of women, even though they weren't perceived as being strong. Yeah, and it, it's that proactive sense that I really appreciated that because, you know, we can spoil that much that they do engage in a relationship. It's our second actor of the movie. Uh, do you know anything about the male actor in this case? Uh, if uh, this is um, uh, one of those, uh, he only got sparse credits uh, or, or what have you? Or, or is it a major character actor that's seen every movie nowadays? Okay, I'm going to give you a quick overview of the main characters of this film, just very briefly. Sure. Um, the man that you're talking about, the pot, pottery maker, is Kim Myung-kun. He is huge, has been huge, and continues to be huge. He was in Sopyeonje, which we have reviewed. Right on. Um, he was in Im Kwantek's Chung Yang. Um, he was in Roaring Currents with Che Min-sik which is also known as The Admiral, you know, the most successful Korean film ever. Oh, so, so that, that, that hasn't been surpassed by the, the movies that followed? It's a close call, but it's still, it's, it's the big hit. He was in Masquerade in 2012 with Lee Byung-hun, and he's doing, done a movie in 2017, which has been another box office hit called Warriors of the Dawn. If you look at all the other main actresses, the young girl who comes and, and meets our main actress with her little baby boy. She was in Open City with Sonia Jin. She was in Righteous Ties with huge actors, actresses, directors. Um, if you look at the old lady, she was in Shadows of the Palace, which is one of my favorite films from 2007. She was in Confessions of Murder, which was out a couple of years ago. She was in Werewolf Boy, 
And if you look at the main bad guy, he was in Nowhere to Hide, The Quiet Family, No Blood, No Tears. And that brings us to the main actress, Kim Yumi. She's been in three films in her entire career. Love Story, directed by Bei Chang Ho. My Heart, directed by Bei Chang Ho. And The Trip, directed by Bei Chang Ho. Comfortable working relationship. You would, all, you, you would always think that they were um, married or something. Well, there you go, and you've hit the nail on the head because oh. Kim, Kim Yumi is Bei Jiang Ho's wife. She is, by career, a novelist, a writer. She actually wrote Love Story. It was a novel that Bei Jiang Ho turned into a film, and she co-wrote My Heart and the Trip. And the only reason she acted in the films was because Bei Jiang Ho talked her into it, I assumed. She he looks like a natural natural screen presence like you read about no nothing uh no sort of protest against i don't want to act but okay fine hubby through my histrionics of who did what when you look at how big the rest of the cast is for me she stood out as the talent you know when you see she's only done three films it's a huge surprise because she makes that character the most important thing in the film i mean it, it's an anchor that needs to work and if that isn't communicated through that through that anchor you you got problems but he certainly never runs into problems and i mean it's not always angelic uh, life is a grind and seasons pass and these uh, seasons uh, in this part of korea they're tough uh, winter is uh, certainly tough and uh, th- there is a section where that is getting to characters and uh, he, he cranks the bad times a little bit uh, that's fair he earns that because uh, we know she doesn't die because she obviously appeared at the beginning of the movie but there, there's still a, a realistic touch to that as well uh, without being uh, overbearing or anything like that so but but he but he's got his uh, contrasts in place because the the seasons that are warm and great and colorful did they come through and that allows characters to to grow and the seasons that are by nature, literal nature, uh, they they create the tough environments. That's going to come through as well. And that is not a unnatural hop into darkness and tough uh, and toughness or anything. It's not cynical either. It's just an engaging sort of slice of life, as I hinted at uh, in my uh, quick uh, quick uh, bite sized uh, opinion of it all. So, and and I wasn't expecting it. So I'm glad that he actually. Oh, of course, it's going to be tough every now and again. In life, yeah. uh, and and I, I was glad he embraced that without uh, being, uh, you know, a young angry filmmaker about it or anything. When all is said and done, there is no clear pl- plot goal here. No, none at all. And it's just progression of time, how life is shaping itself, and we, we we're sort of curious about, of course, who is the person who got off the bus in the beginning of the movie. So that's like a traditional plant. But where you, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, and essentially my notes are done. But at the end of the day, the only spoiler I can sort of say is the fact that don't expect this movie to have a beginning, middle, and end, because for this character, life isn't over. And I think uh, that sounds like a cop out if you talk about it. But no, 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 it's not. He totally argues that I want to convey this section of life. It's a big section, but this is how much I want to convey because I have it in my heart. To sort of uh, be, it sort of is. It's a positive sort of nature and and message overall, I suppose. But I suppose it's it's only fair because uh, you you don't owe audiences sometimes to mm. depict everything from zero to hundred and then we're done. 
any notes on that in terms of uh, because I, I actually was meant to say that that there, we read the plot, but the plot is not very evident when you watch the film. Do you think that's um, like a scary venture, or does it feel like he has confidence uh, going about his business half unplotted? I think his confidence shows hugely in the fact that this is just a story of a series of small episodes from a life that has been what it is and is what it is for him to do that without without pushing big plot points i think it's incredibly brave for anyone who isn't utterly confident and it it, it gets away with it it works all i can say is you know the confidence has to have been there he's telling a story that he wanted to tell because it's a story of a life uh, by the way, if you can spoiler-free explain uh, to well to me and kind people, I suppose, uh, if there was any significance to the fact that she um, keeps this um, poem or song with her uh, throughout life and she sings it whenever she's alone at times. Uh, is there anything to say about that that's spoiler-free? Oh, yes. It's forever. <laughs> um, there's, there's huge... No. Uh, yes, there certainly is. We reviewed on Podcast on Fire a while back, Sopyonje which is about a pansori singer who tells his daughter that she's going to be a pansori singer and trains her and does horrible things to her. He was actually, the main character was played by Kim Myung Kong, who's the man in this film as well. But through that film, In Kwong Tech has them singing certain pansori songs, pansori sort of traditional Korean song, and they're all about love, loss, death, insurmountable odds that whole hand thing again they're all very very dark and and lovelorn etc 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 in contact in that film chose specific pansoris as the film went on in my heart she constantly sings a pansori tale and there are a couple mentioned but the one that continually repeats is a pansori called jangwa and hongryeon and I don't know if that rings any bells to you, Kenny, but... Is it the tailor to her sisters again? Aye, there you go. Yeah, the, 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 the Lotus or the Rose, uh, Rose characters thingy. Totally. And there is, at one point, the part that she sings talks about Jiangwa having lost her mother and being at the hands of a stepmother who treats her badly. And that's at exactly the point where the main character in this Sunni, the main character in this film is being treated badly by her mother-in-law. So again, Bei Chang-ho is using the pansori of A Tale of Two Sisters to mirror elements of Sunni's life. And essentially, as far as I'm concerned, he's underlining the fact that her life is like a pansori tale. It's got love, it's got loss, it's got darkness it's got light and it's just it's a perfect mirror yeah because it uh, turns up both in younger years adult years and even elder years i think anyway so yeah it's totally, not it's totally. not just one scene but it uh it's it stays with her so so clearly it did want like he wanted that to be a thread uh, too so yeah very much so uh, cool. I, I I'll con- conclude my notes there, uh, other than saying that it's it, it's a big homage uh, to effort as well. You know, um, uh, really a big homage to to the woman at hand. Who and you wouldn't think that uh, as you spoke of that because clearly she was slotted into a role. But uh, yeah. but, but but part of it is an, an homage to effort and uh, work and uh, that 
sometimes it, 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 you know just trust your instincts and uh, be a bumbling fool about it uh, maybe too and uh, but you and you but but you you'll get there in the end so uh, that's a it's a it's a cool cool little thing and then uh, two hours is firmly earned despite being a static movie by by choice uh, in, in parts so so I'll, I'll i'll give the floor to you in terms of uh, what else you want to say before we conclude the review the last thing i want to say is that life is interesting no matter whether anything's happening or not people's lives are interesting and that's what my heart underlines this is the story of a life she doesn't seem fictional her performance is incredible and as a final thing keep an eye if you watch the film keep an eye keep an ear out for the motifs in 80s korean cinema repeated motifs for certain things were a kind of a newish thing and if you watch through this film when she's on her own we get one motif when she walks away we get one motif that repeats when she gets a new relationship we get a different motif which then goes back to the original music as she walks away again and it just underlines where she is in her life musically and without any need for dialogue whatsoever we can just watch her walk away and know she's on her own this is a beautiful film please check it out if you can because it's it's, it's somewhat hard though i mean um it was once released on dvd i believe by spectrum on korean dvd at probably at the time of release and not 15 years later or anything but so that, that dvd is unfortunately now out of print and there's no immediate used copies uh, as far as i can see on ebay and the likes and and if it does turn up i hope it isn't price jacked or anything uh, because um you don't need to charge an arm and a leg for a little movie from 1999 that wasn't even a big limited edition or anything. It was just a regular Korean DVD. On that note, and you can feel free to cut this out of the podcast if you wish, but my heart is available on YouTube as we speak. All you have to do is search for the Korean title of Jung, J-E-O-N-G, um, you will, and you will find it. Well, well uh, what else are you going to do if uh, if you can't find it at all or for a reasonable price? So uh, it's a, it's certainly a, if that's your only option, then then what else are you going to do? Well, there you go. And I wouldn't normally recommend doing that. I have a bit of an issue with it, but this is such a beautiful film, and you guys really should check it out. So if that's the only way you can get to see it, I'm going to let you do it just this once. <laughs> but we won't provide the actual link, so you have to yeah, look, well, exactly. look for it yourself. At the very least, I think he recorded a Korean language commentary for the film. So if you do get it and if you can understand that, then perhaps there is some nice uh, production tidbits in in uh, Bae Chang-ho's uh, talk on the DVD. And uh, that's us for this episode of What's Korean Cinema. And we're going to sign off really quickly. So for all your podcast on fire network needs and therefore what's korean cinema needs go to podcastonfire.com our back log off shows are available there relevant links uh, connected to this show uh, paul's review and uh, trailers rubber things or interviews and what have you so certainly the, the interview that paul had with our director will be linked to and uh, check out the show post for that and uh, the site podcastonfire.com for all your needs so i'll leave it to you to plug as much as you like my friend for hangol celluloid that is as we said i'm Paul, I'm from HangleCelluloid.com, Facebook.com slash HangleCelluloid, at HangleCelluloid on Twitter. Do pop to the site, have a look around, 
drop me a line at info at hanglecelluloid.com make comments any feedback is is more than welcome and that's us for this episode but uh, next uh, week uh, you'll get another episode we always record two in one eve in order to publish two weeks in a row and next week in short we're going to be looking at the 2004 drama springtime starring a non-evil non-hammering non-octopus uh, octopi eating uh, choi min <laughs> it's uh, one of those movies that uh, has nothing to be uh, scared of in terms of violence and uh, vengeful themes or what have you it's a nice gentle little movie from 2004 starring an actor that you sometimes don't think is going to be gentle ever in a movie but hey if you're a thespian and a good actor these are the roles you also get in springtime that is so uh, that's uh, us uh, for uh, this episode so listen in next week for what's korean for what's korean cinema 36 on springtime but in the meantime i've been kennedy and with me was paul Cohen, the guru of it all from angles celluloid yes i made him uncomfortable again oh thank you for listening guys the uh the i can't even remember what you called me no bot yeah we'll we'll, yeah we'll, we'll go with that because he's a no knowledgeable bot glad you could join us speak to you soon